What do you know? What do you know? Come on the show. Come on the show. It's an In the Loop News Niche Spectacular. Hey everybody, Jeff Horwich in the loop, and this, as David Byrne would say, this is not my beautiful theme music. No, it's not. This is not our normal theme music. This is another track from our buddies the Smarts, because this is not a normal show. We are going to do something a little different today, and we kind of decided, Sandy and me, that uh, we need to just mix things up a little bit every, I don't know, every month or two, set our typical format, whatever that is, uh, aside and, and do something a little bit different. So today... We're doing just that. We're going to focus on these segments. We call them news nichers. Uh, and if you've been listening for any length of time, you know already what those are. Uh, but just a very quick description. We have people who have filled out a form online and said, hey, I passionately follow some particular area of the news. And I'd love to come in and talk to you about it sometime or, or get on the phone with you and, and give you a briefing. And some, of course, just aren't quite right for, for our audience or for a mass audience. Some are just like perfect for the kind of, you know, newsy thing that we do week to week. And some are really compelling. And we think, gosh, this looks like a really interesting person. We'd like to talk to them, but they don't quite fit, you know, with, with the show. So we kind of set them aside and thought, well, maybe at some point. Well, today is that point, at least um, for three of those that we have been eyeing hungrily over the last few months. So before we get on to those, one very quick note for you. We just rolled out a little mini survey, and it literally takes, I think, just a minute or two. You can put more time into it if you want, uh, to just check in with you all. We've been at this digital thing now for, uh, I don't know, six months, eight months, and we just want to see how it's going and see how it's working for you and ask you about uh, the podcast. Is it too long, too short, too boring, too goofy? Get any feedback you have about what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong. Uh, if you hate me, some people hate me, and, and they like to write me about that. Uh, this is your opportunity to let me know. Take a moment to fill out the survey, if you could. It's at our website, intheloopshow.net, and you can find it on Facebook as well. And we're grateful for you for uh, helping us to tweak the show and make it better. So let's get on the phone here and uh, begin our news niche spectacular with... Anne-Marie Hudak, who had kind of an interesting notion for a specialty uh, that'll uh, get us started. Hello? Hello, is this Anne-Marie? Yes, it is. Hi, Anne-Marie. This is Jeff Horwich. Welcome to In the Loop. Thank you. How are you doing this morning? How are you, how are you feeling lately? Fine, thanks. That's good. When we asked you, what areas of the news do you passionately follow, your answer was unemployment. Yeah. And this is probably not a subject that you chose to immerse yourself in. Uh, you lost your job in September, right? Right. Tell me about the job you had and uh, what happened. And we'll point out to people you're in, you're in Canton, Michigan, yeah. which is a suburb of Detroit. So I think we some of us might know what's coming here, but fill in the details. Yeah, basically Canton's halfway between Detroit and Ann Arbor, and um, Detroit's the automotive industry. I grew up here. I grew up in the auto industry with everybody working it, and I always swore I never would. But I ended up working in it, and I was an electronics audio engineer for a subsidiary of Ford Motor Company that was spun off in 2000. And since 2000, we'd been letting people go probably every six months. I mean, we didn't start out well. And Ford was your only customer, right? Right. That's the way a lot of those businesses work. Right. Ford was our only customer, and we tried to get others, but they had their own little suppliers. And Hmm. so... You know, I, I had watched friends leave and coworkers leave 
um, plants closed. We've, um, you know, losing business as plants closed. And basically, on September 30th, I was um, asked to go down to HR, and they told me that my job was over. How did it affect you? Um, it was um, it was hard. It was like it was very surreal, you know, going down there, just saying, okay, well, it's me, and it's it's strange. It's kind of like death. I guess you know what's going to happen, but you just always hope it's not you. But then you always feel bad because you know the people that have been let go. I even thought of hiding in the bathroom. I always wondered why nobody ever hid in the bathroom when this, this was about to happen to them, and just mm-hmm. wondered what would happen. That wouldn't be the story you'd want them to tell about you. No. Uh, after you've left, maybe that's. <laughs> it sure wouldn't be if they called called for a you know a reference. Well, she hid in the bathroom. We couldn't get her. <laughs> yeah, we dragged her out of the stall right. to give her the news. And when we uh, thought about you know turning to you as something of a, a source and authority on unemployment, it certainly doesn't hurt that you're basically in the unemployment capital of the nation. Yeah. Uh, I just looked this morning. The Michigan unemployment rate is what? It's almost fifteen percent. Yes. Yes. It's it's unthinkable to me. Yes. In your circle of acquaintances, uh, what portion of folks would you say are out of work? Oh, with family, friends, and neighbors, oh, probably oh, maybe about 80% of people that I know that were working in automotive. Wow. And, yeah, right. Most of the people you know. Right. Wow. What's Detroit like? Oh, right Detroit, now. the city of Detroit is, is very, very bad and sad. I guess I want to know if it's as bad as we all think, because we see pictures that make it look like, you know, Dresden after the firebombing. There are a lot of neighborhoods like that, yes, unfortunately. I went to Hiroshima, and I went to the Peace Museum where they have uh, some of the burned-out shells of houses where, they, you know, when the, the nuclear bomb was dropped. And I took pictures there, and at the same role, I took pictures of some neighborhoods in Detroit where some uh, friends live that I visited, and I didn't even click in my mind until I developed these pictures, and I was showing somebody, and they thought the houses from Detroit were the ones from Hiroshima. And unfortunately, <laughs> wow. that's still how it is. People leave neighborhoods in the night here. You know, they're embarrassed that they're losing their homes, and they don't pack up and leave at the night. It's kind of, it's like a weird, one of those old Depression movies from the Depression. It's very sad. Have you had friends that uh, one morning you woke up and they just, they left in the night? Yes. That way? Yep. Yep. They've left. Yep. Huh. Their house sits empty. So then, you know, the neighbors keep an eye on it, hoping kids don't break into it, but... um. That's in our neighborhood, but in Detroit, I know it's even it's even worse. I think Detroit is trying to come back. I'm working on diversity and inclusion initiative in my community because without you know the suburbs realizing how important Detroit is and working to bring it up, then it, the whole the whole area is going to fail. The city needs the suburbs, and the suburbs need the city, and that hasn't been the way it's been for quite a long time. So you are clearly not somebody who who got laid off and uh, decided to just go you know, hang out and take that as an excuse to relax for a bit. Um, even though in the auto industry, did you go come away with it some, with some, some kind of severance to maybe uh, help you get by for the next bunch of months? Yes, I got, I got a four-month severance, but I mm-hmm. unfortunately I know a lot of people that, that are at home and that are depressed and mm-hmm. that haven't worked for years and that are living off their 401ks, and I... I'm trying to do things to turn the state around so those people aren't like that anymore. I mean, I, they're friends and loved ones, and I, it's really sad seeing them like that. And I'm afraid of ending up like that. I guess I'm, I'm one to start digging in instead of falling down because I'm afraid. And I, we need to get hammer and hands here and work to start moving forward. So me and a bunch of unemployed engineers and finance people are working to start a business and alternative energy because 
We're also trying to make Michigan the alternative energy hub of the country. Well, tell me about the uh, the concept that you've got and why you think uh, a bunch of former auto industry engineers are the right ones to pull it off. It's not hard to move from product to product. And we've got a lot of unemployed engineers here. We've got a lot of unemployed business people, finance people. And we have idle plants. We have a lot of skilled trades here. We have a lot of very talented people. And what we're trying to do is we're developing a smart grid, which they're doing in other states. And basically what it is is, I don't know if you remember, 2003 in this area we had a power outage that shut down states for a couple of weeks, some places up to a month. That was your fault? Yeah, that was my fault. I turned the toaster on. <laughs> there goes the seaboard. <laughs> okay, well, it's an inspiration to, to do better down the road. So, That's yeah, right. okay, so it, it starts with a smart grid. How's it going to work? Basically, what we do is we're trying to build sustainable neighborhoods, and we're looking at um, taking a neighborhood and applying wind and solar to it. And also, we're working with some universities like Saginaw Valley State University to put in an aquaponics greenhouse, which would then become a self-sustaining neighborhood. So what's preventing you from, from turning this into you know, employment for yourself at this point? Well, basically just finding the funding. Me and, the, um, me and my partners are working on the business plan as we speak. Um, and then we will take the business plan to the Michigan Economic Development Authority and hopefully get funding. Stimulus money, while it's, it's out there, it's being held up. You know, it's promised to the states, but a lot of it's not getting to the states. Unfortunately, and I don't know if you see it where you for you are, but Michigan is in a holding pattern. Businesses aren't hiring, um, funds are being held up, and even the state capital can't even get their budget straight to get this going. It's like everybody's holding their breath, just waiting to see what the next thing is going to be that happens. Well, Anne-Marie, I've enjoyed hearing your story. It's not a, not a happy one, but encouraging in some ways, and I look forward to uh, checking in with you down the road. Nice to talk to you, too. Thank you. That was Anne-Marie Hudak. And you know what I think was the niftiest thing about that is you have these engineers who, instead of taking off from Michigan and, you know, getting the hell out, are actually looking to the worst of the area, like these blighted neighborhoods in Detroit, for a business opportunity. Wish them luck. And Anne-Marie has just started a blog as well, and that is at, uh, let's see, unemployedcitizenssupport-michigan.blogspot.com. And we'll link you there as well from uh, from our website. So let's move on to our second uh, news nicher here. And this one, I don't need to go into a great deal of detail to set it up. Um, this is Corey Wright, and he's in uh, Ellensburg, Washington. He wrote that uh, the area of the news he's passionate about is, quote, the destruction of our country and world by elite world bankers bent on one world government and power overall. Right. Well, we all think we know Corey Wright just from reading that, but we thought, let's get to know him for real. And uh, so, Corey, thanks very much for uh, joining us here on In the Loop. Thank you, Jeff. First question is a little bit of a rough one. Are you, Corey, are you a crazy person? (laughs) That's a good question. (laughs) I would say no. (laughs) I guess what I have to go off of is uh, the perceptions of uh, my wife, coworkers, friends, neighbors. And you and you live a very normal normal life, right? You're a, uh, as you said you have a, you're married, you've you're a biologist for a living. Tell me briefly about what kind of work you do. Basically salmon biologist in the Pacific Northwest. Do research on juvenile salmon so when they're young we kind of monitor how they move through the Columbia Basin here. And so yeah, no, I'm a average Joe fish biologist. <laughs> okay, and now back to our um, 
phrase that got us here today, I suppose, uh, which is uh, the destruction of our country and world by elite world bankers bent on one world government and power overall, uh, which would seem to pull you out of your blissful uh, fish biology existence, perhaps when you go home and sit in front of the computer. I don't know. Uh, what's what's on your radar at this very moment? I know there are a lot of stories you could pull for us, but this week, what what have you been following particularly closely? What have you been concerned about? Yeah, well, there's actually a lot going on right now. Russia, China, I believe Iran and France are calling for an end of the petrodollar. Basically, all oil in the world is traded in dollars, and that forces other countries in the world that want to use oil to hold dollar reserves. There's also kind of this move to shift away from the dollar being the world reserve currency. They're publicly meeting about that, you know, G20, and, and talking about what's going to take its place. A lot of things that you're concerned about and that you follow come back to this question of of currency. Uh, So in this case, does that worry you or is that a good thing that we might be diversifying the way that we pay for oil around the world? It could be a good thing. The problem comes when when you start to look at who's behind decisions as we move forward and, and what their ultimate goals are. It seems like that there is a push towards, you know, kind of a world economic system and a, and a world government. And here we get to the the crux of it in a lot of ways, right? This question that there's a, a global cabal of, uh, of elite folks who are conspiring to to run things. Right. Yeah, definitely. And enslave us is a, is a word that turns up fairly often. In your mind, who are the people who are running the show behind the scenes. It's obviously quite complicated, but as close as it seems we can point to a, a specific group, it would be on an, on an international level, the, the Bilderberg Group. They meet every year they have since the middle of last century. And it's a changing cast of uh, power brokers from, it looks like, mostly the United States and Europe, right? Yeah, for the most part. Yeah, they don't publicize the meetings, they don't publish minutes, they don't talk about what they've discussed, but uh, right. a lot of powerful people are there. That's an acknowledged fact. It goes it goes kind of goes beyond, uh, you know, just like secret hearings. I mean, the fact that people that go to try to just cover the event and just find out what's going on, see who they're yet detained. There's also odd occurrences like Bill Clinton, George Bush Sr., Tony Blair all went to the meeting the year before they were elected to the highest office in each of their respective countries. So what you were suggesting that the the whole thing's rigged. I, you know, I can't say that for certain, but I mean, that's a pretty strange occurrence. Do but, we I mean, know yeah, that the global cabal is a bad is a bad thing? I mean, do you believe that, that they, in quotes here, that, that they're plotting to enslave us? Or are they, as, as some people suggested, actually saying, look, you know, the dirty, uh, rough and tumble politics of the way that the world works uh, isn't actually going to save us in the end. We need to put our heads together quietly, privately and save the planet. Well, you know, I just think that if you look at the historical precedent of groups of people like this, there aren't too many examples of things uh, working out for the best interest of people at large in the world. And, and there are quite a few examples of secret cabals ending in negative effects upon the people of the world. What does it do to, to you day to day? What has it done to you to sort of proceed, even believing that that might be possible? For me, it, it might depress me to no end. I mean, what's the point? Well, yeah, I mean, it is depressing, but I I don't think that you kind of reach a point where you can't deny it and you can't turn back. I mean, I I live a normal, happy life. I don't think about it all the time, you know, but I can't, you know, just totally switch it off and ignore it. It's been a long progression with me, you know, even in college was 
kind of turned on to certain aspects of the bad side of our foreign policy that doesn't get exposed on a daily basis, you know, and just kind of slowly over the years, it kind of reaches a point, I mean, in the last couple of years where <laughs> almost nothing seems to amaze me anymore. And not everything is true, you know, you can't believe everything you hear, but but it is definitely apparent to me that the kind of everyday story of life in the United States that we get fed to us through our television is not really the reality that's out there. How does the phrase uh, conspiracy theorist uh, sit with you? You don't embrace that, do you? Well, I, I mean, I do, because uh, conspiracy theorist has been given negative connotation, and I think that it's intentionally given negative connotation to kind of just discount things. You know, people question things that don't make sense, that people don't necessarily want to discuss for whatever reason. It gets, gets slapped, you know, conspiracy theory. And there's conspiracies all the time. I think that if we don't get to the bottom of a lot of these conspiracies, that it has serious implications for... The future of life as we know it. <laughs> yeah, our Everything. future. I mean... Well, Corey, it's been uh, very interesting to talk with you. Thank you very much for for opening up about this stuff. Yeah, yeah, well, definitely. I mean, I hope I'm wrong and everything's great. And... <laughs> but, it, you know, if not, maybe people can just question what they're fed on a daily basis. <laughs> well, I think we can probably all agree with that. Corey, thanks a lot. All right, thank you, Jeff. Have a good day. Corey Wright there, biologist of juvenile salmon in the Pacific Northwest, Washington State, and proud conspiracy theorist. We've got one more of these before we wrap up. We kind of thought uh, for this News Niche episode, first time we gave it a shot, uh, three would be a, a nice number, not too many, not too few to uh, to try. And this one rolled in. It was just kind of uh, delightfully random. Fair to say we certainly didn't see it coming. And uh, so let's uh, give a call to Ann Lyons, who is in Minneapolis. I, I believe she just moved back. Maybe I'll ask her about that. Let's see here. Hello. Hi, is this Ann? Yes. Hi, Ann. This is Jeff Horwich giving you a call from In the Loop. Hi, Jeff. How are you? I'm well, and thank you very much for taking some time to talk with us today. Sure. Well, first of all, Ann, welcome back to Minnesota. Well, thank you. You've been living in Jamaica for 10 years. Yeah, tw- 13, 13 years. 13 years. Yes. I ran a business there for 10, but I was there for 13 years. Now, before we get to uh, you know the area that you are uh, focused on here, quickly, what, what were you doing in Jamaica? And why would one ever come back from Jamaica? It sounds like a wonderful uh, journey. It is. It is. My parents had um, retired there. My father did some work for the State Department in Jamaica and ended up loving it so and bought some property there and left it to me and my brothers. And I moved there and opened a business and ran it happily for some time. But I guess um, home called. <laughs> so the thing that you uh, responded to us about it really just was one word that caught our eyes. Gypsies. Yeah. You follow news about gypsies, and we don't mean in that kind of colloquial, like, people with a wandering soul kind of thing. Like, actual, honest-to-goodness gypsies. Yeah, and I guess the politically correct way to refer to them is Rom. Rom. Well, let's or define, let's define <laughs> our terms here. Uh, who are these people? Well, they migrated from India about a thousand years ago, but no one exactly knows why I'm into Eastern Europe and then Europe and even the U.S. They're spread widely. And what's the sort of situation with gypsies uh, around the world, in Europe in particular? Well, they're widely discriminated against. Um, They have very strong 
beliefs and ideas and traditions and this whole nomadic life of theirs. And, you know, one of the main problems is that they have a different idea about possession. You know, they don't seem to understand that you bought this rose bush and planted it in your garden and they can't come and pull it out of the yard and sell it at a boot sale, mm-hmm. you know. You know, they don't, you know, try to be loved. You know, they have their own people for that and their own beliefs. And so I think that contributes to it a lot. The more you read about them, the more you realize, you know, that there's a reason for, you know, the way they act, which seems, you know, very contrary to getting along in society. What was the moment that uh, this became like a kind of an obsession for you? I was sitting having lunch, just sweet little restaurant in the country in France and it was on kind of the main road through the area and there was a bank down to the road that was covered in iris and I'm sure they were planted there by the community and while I was eating lunch this huge Mercedes pulls up and like 30 gypsies tumble I don't know how many it was I'm sure it's a big Mercedes but a lot of them (laughs) Uh and they cut all the iris in you know five minutes and they were gone and I just, I said to the waiter, what is this? And they were all just clicking and, you know, shaking their heads and saying, you know, by evening they'd be selling the iris in Paris. So what are some recent headlines that you got for us from the global adventures of the the ROM? The well, the big one is Madonna. She made some kind, it was somewhere in Eastern Europe. I don't remember exactly where she was performing. But she made a comment about gypsies being discriminated against. And it was hugely unpopular. She was booed and nearly, you know, like run off the stage because of it. With the non-gypsy people in wherever she was, some some Eastern European country. Right, right. And so in the news today, she has donated a pair of gold shoes to be donated for a gypsy cause. Well, <laughs> it would say, it, that, it's, the, it's the least she could do. I know. That's what I thought. <laughs> a pair of some... Christian Dior shoes to supporting gypsy child education. But of course, she didn't do anything wrong, right? It's not like she's trying to make up for doing something wrong. She t- tried to bring attention to it. No, she didn't do anything wrong. But it just shows how widely, you know, it is. I guess it was in Bucharest where she did this. I'm in Hungary. Yes. And so um, they just. Did, you know, they didn't want to hear it. But mm-hmm. I think I sent you one today where this is in the news every day. Some village in the United Kingdom has to give them a place to camp. And in the one today, it's in Portsmouth in England, and they've been notified by the village council that the town has to make uh, campsites available, to, and they're just refusing. They won't. Mm-hmm. What was the deal with this movie that came out a few months ago? Uh, it was a Sam Raimi picture, I think. It was pretty well-reviewed. I didn't see it. A horror movie called Drag Me to Hell. Well, that's it. You know, they focus on this fortune-telling thing, and, the, you know, it's stereotyped. It was as, it, there was a gypsy character in it, right? And that was a, right. that was a big deal. Right, gypsy fortune-teller. You know, if it weren't for gypsy fortune-tellers, you know, it goes for them. <laughs> film world would be. <laughs> and the gypsy fortune teller in the movie cast a hex or something like that, right? right and that, that right. Dra- dragged her into hell, I, I think is how it went. Right. But um, they, you see, the, the Roma had to have um, jobs and ways to make a living that they could take on the road. You know, they were horse traders and coppersmiths and jobs that, you know, people valued at one time. 
and the women, you know, were fortune tellers because they could, you know, they didn't have to have equipment or anything. Crystal like ball, maybe. I don't know. Right. Um, but I don't think it bears much reality. As you watch the news day to day, as you have for a few years now, uh, for the gypsies, do things seem to be getting better at all? No. Oh. No, I, I'm sure not. It seems that the stories haven't changed much, you know. And, you know, they're their own worst enemy in so many ways, you know, just because, you know, they don't want anyone's help. They just want to be left alone. Well, Anne, this is definitely a news niche that I don't think we'd have thought of on our own, and I'm I'm glad that you're following it, and it's well, been uh, fun to talk to you. Well, I'm you're interested. Of Thanks course. for the call. Anne Lyons there. And uh, Anne had also mentioned to us that some of her favorite music, not surprisingly, uh, Django Reinhardt. European gypsy jazz guitar master so maybe a little Django Reinhardt here uh, in Anne's honor to take us out and that does it for our news nitchers today we do have sort of a stack of these that we're still looking through as well and uh, lots of good folks to get to if you want to join the batch if you got an area of the news that you uh, really feel keenly about and you think uh, there'd be some kind of fun stuff to update us on uh, it can be more sort of random like these I guess or it can be much more kind of newsy if you like Try us. Uh, you can find that form to fill out at uh, intheloopshow.net. I think it's down on the right-hand side, uh, maybe down just a bit on the right-hand side of the page. And with that, I'll do just the little obligatory credits here. In the Loop is produced by Sandin Totten and me and uh, our friend Anna Wagle as well, who, I don't know if she'd want me to say this. I think she would because she's been awfully grisly and detailed in describing the symptoms to us. Um, Anna has swine flu. Or so they tell her. And so she's quarantined at the moment. And uh, so, Anna, a little message from Sandin and me to you. Um, and feel better soon. Anyway, I'm Jeff Horwich. This is In The Loop. And we'll be back next week. <laughs>